Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast designed to give people the inside scoops in the life of our church. Uh, we've got a real special conversation today with, I want to call you an outside guest, but you're uh, kind of an inside guest. Uh, I got Allison Alley from Compassion Canada here. Allison, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. It is great to be home with you all today. Home with us all today. Allison, uh, some of us might not realize that the new president and CEO of Compassion uh, used to hang out around Southridge. So uh, just give us a bit of an orientation, first of all, to your family situation, and then tell us a little bit of the story of how you ended up, first of all, as part of our church. Ooh. Okay, great question. So um, first of all, I am married to my husband, Tommy. Uh, Jeff and I were just joking that I have carried two titles around this church before, Tommy Alley's wife, which I still am, and Mike Enz's sister, which if you've been around, you may know that name. I may explain who that is a little bit more uh, in a bit. Uh, but Tommy and I have been married for 17 years. We have two kids, uh, Ireland and Scarlett are 10 and 8 years old. Uh, we now live in London, Ontario, which is where Compassion's head office is, but I was born and raised here in St. Catharines. And so uh, to answer your question, when Tommy and I got married about 17 years ago, shortly after our wedding, months after our wedding, we uh, came across what was South or Fairview Louth Church back then. Uh, my brother, Mike, had been going to the church and uh, my husband, who's a musician and a creative and a, a songwriter, was really compelled by who the church was at the time. Mm. So we found ourselves here. Yeah, I remember, I mean, Mike, we both know very well and uh, was one of our first handful of staff uh, <laughs> yeah. back when we were trying to get into the world of creative arts and tech and things. And we we built that studio. We dropped a portable in the church yard. This is back at our 9th Street location and attached the portable to the existing church building and him and his buddy and cousin, uh, Derek yeah. Elliott, and they kind of shared that that portable and got us into the audio and video worlds. And so that 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 goes way, way back. Yeah, it really does. Um, so you were part of our church for years, I suppose, if that was 17 or so mm -hmm. years ago. And uh, I guess other than what we're going to talk about today, when you think back, what would be one of uh, your kind of fondest Southridge memories? <laughs> well, it's funny. I There are two of them that come to mind and they're somewhat related. Uh, the first was the first time that we took a tour of this building that you and I are sitting in today, mm. which is now the Glenridge site. Yeah. It was our proposed future site of the church, and we all had hard hats, and we were walking around trying to imagine what God would be up to yeah. in this space. And I remember thinking, wow, this place is huge. You know, How will we ever fill it? Which was probably too small, very much too small yeah. of a vision at the time. And then fast forward a few years, I remember, as would many of the people who have been here for a while, this um, provocative and incredible moment where, you know, we had already launched the shelter in our church community here, and it was Baptism Sunday, and one of the gentlemen uh, from the shelter who was a resident in the shelter cannonballed, do you remember this, <laughs> um, into the, the yes, dunk tank, vividly. if you will. And, My life flashed before me. <laughs> you know, and I would imagine at the time there were people who were horrified. I'm sure you may have heard about that. You know, this is a sacred, precious thing, but I thought, hey... This is the kind of community I want to be a part of where people are cannonballing uh, into the baptism tank. The 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 serious side of that was <laughs> with the AV setup for the baptism. And I was the one in the tank baptizing. Uh, 
when they jumped, they made such a kind of a, such a splash. It, it literally tidal waved <laughs> over the glass into the first couple rows, and it and it kind of started to to soak and seep into some of like the microphones and everything. So there were a few people who were panicking of like, are we going to get electrocuted? Oh sure, like, yeah. So there were. It, it was it was all fun and games until uh, safety became an issue, but. We, uh, if you're listening, we, we don't advise cannonballing no. into the baptism tank no. anymore. That was a, a one shot wonder uh, around here, but <laughs> yes, definitely a high point in, in, <laughs> in our memory. And frankly, it's funny that you talk about the early days of walking through the building, like in the heart that we had back at ninth street to become this more missionally defined church. You know, if your church up and disappeared, would anyone really notice, uh, we had gone through a very convoluted journey of trying to navigate our expansion plan. And yeah. uh, I don't know if you remember, but we were considering planting a church and we tried in a couple of cases to merge with a church. Eventually we defaulted to buying the property or buying the pro- uh, the land beside the church and we right. were going to expand there, but we could only get a minor variance. And one thing led to another where we were going to buy five acres to only get two, to only be able to build on one. But then we had to, for that size, put a pond in that one. Yeah. So we were buying a... Uh, five acres to get nothing. And and all of a sudden we found out that this building was available. And from the time that we first heard it was available to the time that the school board had accepted our offer was only four days because in all of our prayer and discernment, there was something we knew God wanted um, that we just couldn't put a finger on and obviously didn't have a, a, a picture of yet. And yet, like you said, when you're walking through it, you're thinking, wow, God could do some really uh, amazing things here and uh, certainly has, which is cool awesome. uh, for us to not only see and celebrate, but to be able to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through then, Allison, uh, kind of your, at the time, your, your Southridge life, your yeah. what we'll call garden variety, <laughs> Christian life, new family, you know, you're kind of tracking around here when God started to heat things up in yeah. your collective spirit with, with you and Tommy. Uh, so just d- describe that story and you know what your life was like back then and how God started grabbing your attention and things like that. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I was born and raised into a Christian home, and so faith had been just a natural part of my DNA. And in light of that, there was some comfort uh, that set in over time. Um, you know, approximately, you know, 10-ish years ago, Tommy and I started having a family. And so we were very much the the picture of the average uh, North American life, you know, and a good uh, job. And yeah, good job. Progressing and, you bet. Was working yeah. in the finance industry. We had bought a home that, you know, some people may find modest. For us, it was really our dream home yeah. that we were renovating. Um, and we had, you know, two healthy kids. Now, the context of this storyline is also that uh, Tommy and I met at YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Right. And in Hawaii, in Hawaii, you know, suffering for Jesus, very difficult place to meet. Yeah, Yeah. you bet. That's how we make. (laughs) I made my choices back then, right? Where is the most remote, beautiful place to serve God? Um, But we fell in love with a shared passion uh, of of mission and of a life of ministry, and we didn't know what the expression of that would be for quite some time. And yet, our marriage ceremony or our wedding ceremony was this commissioning into life together. Mm. So that sat on the back burner for a while. 
So then the way I would describe it now in hindsight is that God had been creating the environment in which he would awaken us in his perfect timing. And the environment that he sat us in was very much centered around um, the journey that the church was on. And the fact that we were asking questions of what it meant to be a missionary, you know, was, was a missionary a calling for the select few, as you know, yeah. you know, to, to go and to do great things, or was it a calling for every Christ, Christ follower to steward all that they are and have on behalf of God's purposes on a day in, day out basis? You know, and we were confronted at the time as well, largely through the journey of the church on this thing called global extreme poverty and injustice and child trafficking in some really provocative ways until we had this really kind of defining moment you know, as we were hanging out as a family in a really humble way, where God just brought us to our knees and um, removed our blinders to not just see others more clearly, but ourselves more clearly. And, uh, you know, in the ways that we felt really normal and, and, and modest and still wouldn't have felt like we had enough, that really we were rich and uh, we had affluence and privilege and access and, and choice and influence, and we were using them selfishly. So th- that was a... Um, a transition point, you could say, on yeah, our journey. Trigger. I, I mean, I remember it was, I think, in like 08 or 09, where in the context of a, it's about a six or eight week series uh, through the Old Testament prophet Amos that we called Affluenza. Yep. That that was like the game changing era for many of us in the life of our church. Oh yeah. At a at an awareness level of not only who we are in the global scheme of things and the opportunity, privilege, and, and ultimately responsibility uh, that we steward. But it, it, way more for, for those of us who are part of it, way more encountering the heart of God for compassion and justice. And you know, I, I remember one of the, the mornings that I got to teach was in, in Amos chapter 5, where he, he basically kind of rebukes the Israelites for going to these worship centers. And he said, hey, for a time, I don't want you to go to Gilgal or Bethel or Mizpah. I don't want you to basically attend church anymore. I want you to get this right, because this is yeah. way more important than these gatherings. And and I remember for me as, as a, a leader in this church thinking, what does it mean that from God's perspective, there is something, there's some aspect to our life and community that's way more important than these gatherings. Yeah. The church is so synonymous with gathering. Yeah. What could be way more important than these gatherings? And and so for me, I mean, my world, our collective church world was just as rocked as your personal and family world in like, this is, this is a game-changing paradigm shift in what a life of faith and life of faith and community is all about. So. Yeah. So here we all are. We're getting our worlds rocked. And uh, talk a little bit about how that then translated into your family, because I know, you know, one of the things we were trying to do at the time in fostering this this new aspect of a, a way of life of devotion to Christ was to grow our presence and our engagement as global missionaries, mm-hmm. right? And we had this global action plan and this go conference and all kinds of little experiments back in the day. Um, ultimately facilitated through an emerging partnership yeah. with this global ministry that had a, a Canadian branch uh, called Compassion. And so I know that you guys, like Becky and I did, you know, we 
plugged into this as participants in the life of our church. Talk about that story from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So we were part of one of the first global action plan yeah, groups. Yeah. And that to us was um, not only an incredibly meaningful experience and a rich time to wrestle in real time with like-minded and different, you know, diverse, different individuals and perspectives, but also helped inform and shape our action steps individually and collectively. So um, the way it was set up at the time is we, you know, watched different videos and read books and engaged practically on a local level, kind of showed up to listen and learn. And um, again, that helped really inform our theology on what it means to be a Christian, to really live your faith in action, to be Jesus in a practical way. Um, And then uh, quite significantly, as you said, it was Southridge that introduced us to this organization that was doing this kind of work that was allowing other local churches that were um, wrestling with some similar and different questions that we were and saying, what does it look like to make a meaningful impact in the life of their community and those around them? And um, as a family, as we were wrestling with the bigger things, like what do we do vocationally? What what does our lifestyle choices look like? Where do we live? You know, uh, we decided to take one step forward. And that, that marker in the sand for us to put our money where our mouth was, which again was years, a decade in the making, yeah. was to sponsor one child. Yeah. And uh, his name is Jimmy Via. We yeah. still sponsor him yeah. from Ecuador. We now sponsor his brother, Edwin, as well. Uh, and that changed a whole lot for our family. Uh, turns out that in one of our early, what we called them exposure trips, uh, Tommy got to be part of this visit to Ecuador and meet Jimmy. I know that that was significant for you guys too. talk about that because I know certainly our family in uh, sponsoring Edgar in Guatemala and then ultimately his sister, Johanna, which we continue to do. Uh, those exposure trips and those visits have really become formative to our, our family's life. Uh, but in, in your case, it was like game changing. So talk oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. So um, broadly speaking, the clarity that Tommy and I had is that God was calling us to be advocates for kids and the poor. Again, this was a, a longstanding thing for us, but we started gaining more clarity on it. And what that looked like practically, though, we had no idea. You know, we were thinking, Tommy's a storyteller. Are we, is this a storytelling thing? Uh, a huge piece for us was, is God calling us to go there? Right. Not, not to do the work, but to observe the work that's already happening, to illuminate those stories and transfer them back to Canada Mm. to inspire people to action. And so that was where we were researching and investigating when, as you said, he was invited to go on this trip to actually tell some stories, to do that kind of stuff. He was the video guy. Yeah, he was the video guy, right? (laughs) So we were living that out. And he was actually surprised. So the plan was not that he would meet our sponsor child, Jimmy, but on the last day, they surprised him with a visit, not just with Jimmy, but also his parents and the project director at the church. And that, you know, after a week of just seeing the work of compassion, seeing the difference they're making in their community, seeing the love and the passion of the pastor and the workers and the volunteers, he was already wrecked. So he meets Jimmy and gets the tiniest glimpse of of not just the impact we're having on his life, but this entire program and community around him. And how he would tell the story is, Uh, he realized in that moment, this is it. Like compassion is going to be the vehicle by which Allison and I are going to live out this calling to be advocates. Again, practically how, we don't know yet, but it was solidified in his heart as being connected to Compassion's ministry. Hmm. 
So unlike the rest of us that just continue to stay faithful here at Southridge <laughs> and sponsor kids yeah. and try to become uh, global missionaries right where we are, uh, you ended up moving and leaving us. <laughs> Describe a little bit, though, because uh, this was really amazing, um, just how that sense of calling got worked out by God to the point where you guys ended up relocating to London to be more actively a, a part of this ministry called Compassion. Yeah. Man, do you remember what a whirlwind season, several years that was for our family and for the community that we, the discerning community yeah, that we built around yeah. us, of which you and Becky, your wife, were a part of. Um, it was a series of divine appointments, I would say, where God really opened up doors and where we were taking, again, like baby steps forward in discovery. You know, at some points, as I said, as we reflected on, do we go and, and do the work? There was a clear take a step, door closed, okay, step back. Um, but some of the significant divine appointments were a gentleman that worked here, Tim Arnold, yeah. who was a former outreach pastor, said, you know, I really think you should be connected and share your story with a guy that I know. His name is, it doesn't matter his name, but he, you know, he works at Compassion. And I really think he might be able to help you work this stuff out, as you said. He's well connected to the field. And so we went into this meeting thinking we're going to share our heart and story. We were still in the perspective of kind of go observe, learn, and tell stories. And so we met with him. We kind of told our story. And, and I was explaining kind of my mother's heart perspective and this, this recognition that, hey, I was working so hard for my kids to have everything they could ever want and more than they could need while simply ignoring you know, the needs of other kids around the world. And I was really burned at the time with the question, what about the rest of them? Yeah. What about the rest of these kids? So I get to that part and I tell him that. And as he would tell the story, he was he was kind of moved. There was conviction in his heart because Compassion was asking themselves a similar question. Mm. And there was kind of roots in the organization of saying, what about the rest of them? Yes, we work with, you know, it was 1.5 million kids at the time. But what about the rest of the kids around the world? And, and in Canada, yes, we have, you know, 90,000 sponsors. But what about the rest who will never sponsor but could make a meaningful impact in the lives of their communities? So the, the medium version of the story is that in time, he kind of shared that with us and he envisioned us and said, I wonder if maybe God would be calling you to come on board to help us figure this thing out. Uh, we don't really know what it's going to look like, but there seems to be a convergence of storyline here. Mm-hmm. As we went back in and Tommy and I discerned in my wisdom, Jeff, and you know the depth of maturity that I had at the time, I said, nah, I don't <laughs> think so. And I kind of closed the door and said, you know, you're talking about us doing work here and stepping into leadership. And I felt like maybe God was calling me in my own personal leadership story to sit on the bench for a while and to just, again, observe, hand people water, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I prematurely cut that off. Uh, But in time, I got over myself and realized, okay, yeah, God is clearly calling us to take this step forward. And... um, I'll tell you another crazy part of the story that very few people know. Do okay. we have time for it? Yep. You, Jeff said earlier, we try to keep these things manageable, but you're a special no, guest. this is going to so go extra. We're going to go overtime here. Yeah. <laughs> so there was this really cool moment. Okay, so this whole journey is Tommy and Allison. We're exploring this with compassion. Again, this has been a family calling for us. I, I didn't create a resume and hand it in. There was no job description. 
But one day they said, you know, we should probably have like a serious conversation. Come to London, come to our office. You'll meet with our president. His name's Barry Sloan White. You know, don't be intimidated. He's a good guy. You'll meet with HR. You know, that morning of the meeting, they said, you know, they asked for your resumes. You probably should send something. So like I quickly updated it, sent it through. So we sit there, we're having this conversation really casually telling our story again, asking if God is, you know, converging these stories. And and they look at us eventually and say, you know, from like a pure HR operations perspective, you know, we've decided we can't really hire a husband and wife team. Again, we don't know what this thing will look like, but we were thinking you two could figure it out. And they said, so, you know, who should we hire? (laughs) And, you know, Tommy kind of looked at me and I kind of looked at him and I shrugged my shoulders as if to say, you know, like you take this, you're the guy that fell in love with this ministry. You're the guy that's convinced me to walk down this path a bit further. Like you go first, what say you? And he said, you know, if you're looking for a storyteller, someone who has, you know, international experience, understands missions, evangelism, you know, to a decent degree, uh, you should probably hire me. But if you want like a leader, an administrator, a communicator, someone to get you from here to there and rally the troops, you probably need to hire my wife. And, you know, the end of the story is they went with me and the rest is kind of history, but that was our entry point. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I was asking that question is because in re- recalling that as an observer, it felt like they had actually activated Tommy before they activated mm-hmm. you. And what? they had Tommy going on trips and Tommy <laughs> starting to tell stories and Tommy, yeah. because like you'd said earlier, uh, not only had your brother worked in our video ministry, but Tommy had worked in our video yeah. ministry. And basically, <laughs> you know, we were trying to get frankly, get more video out of Tommy around here. And he was getting called away from here towards compassion. And it was like, oh, crap, we're losing our video guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're not just losing our video guy. We're losing his whole family because now his wife is becoming a player. What's happening? And you were like, what's her name? Tommy's wife, right? right? What's her name? My sister. Who is she? And uh, yeah, and so from my perspective, we were losing the video guy and then his whole family moved to London. It was like, what just happened? And uh, it was a real, yeah, I mean, it was a really cool era where God was doing so much in all of us personally and his families to watch that calling play out that, again, started simply with the goal that, frankly, all of us shared to live like missionaries to a greater degree, whether we ever get on a plane or not. hundred percent. Right. That's what we were trying to form in that era. Can we live like missionaries, uh, regardless of whether we ever go somewhere, get on a plane, uh, in our lives. And so, uh, I don't even know if I want to ask this, but try to, in a couple of, <laughs> in a couple of minutes or less, uh, you know, once you start working there, how does a person who's working at Compassion all of a sudden become the next president? I know our members are going to probably wonder. So, okay, you moved <laughs> to London, you got plugged in here. Uh, how does how does that happen in a coaching nutshell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, what I would say is when I started at Compassion, I realized pretty quickly that this is the environment that I want to continue to make a meaningful impact in as a leader. And I felt like God was calling me into this equipping journey. And as I looked around, I thought, you know, if I want to make the greatest impact that I can here, I think there's kind of three key prongs of leadership. Uh, one would be, you know, having a ministry mindset and really understanding, you know, the theology of the work that we do and how to shepherd our people. And so I went to seminary. Yeah. That was part of my equipping journey. 
Um, and then I realized, hey, I want to learn as much as I possibly can about the work that we do in the field and uh, best practices in international development. And so I studied international development as, as part of my equipping. Um, and then I thought, you know, the third prong is to really lead well in um, a Canadian-based not-for-profit or charity that some executive experience and understanding how to really navigate that well would be critical. And so, you know, in time, I went through the MBA path. So I say that because, you know, there's many ways and, and, and many um, different lenses that I can wear as I think about what transpired. And there was a, a huge sense of calling for for sure. Um, a calling into the organization, a calling to submit myself to the equipping process. Um, I, but there was also practical faithfulness on my part and going, okay, if he's calling me into a deeper degree, carrying a more significant weight, quite, quite frankly, then I need to do what I can to be equipped and ready for whatever that might look like. I never imagined ever that it would be the CEO. I wasn't striving for that or looking for that. I'm a learner. If anyone is fascinated by the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram three, which is an achiever. achiever so I, I like yeah. to learn and grow. Um, uh, I'm probably answering longer than you want, but I just- you're, you're not, continue. <laughs> take my learning out of this. Yeah. At a certain point, to our board's credit, they had a very methodical, prayerful um, a succession process where they, you know, did external consulting and research and internal as well. And as part of that, they, um, through Barry, met with all of the leaders in the organization to say, hey, what do you think we need in this next era? What are the characteristics or the attributes, the skill sets that you think would be critical for this organization? And do you have anyone in mind, anyone we should be looking at? So eventually I find myself in this chair, having this conversation with Barry Sloan White, our long-term CEO. I told him what I thought. And again, I had no skin in the game. So I, I gave it to him clear. Here's where I think God is calling us to, yeah. a season of transformation and, and redesign and reconsider and rebuild in light of our changing context to be able to increase in effectiveness. I had a very specific set of skill sets. And then I said, you know, in light of where we are, where I believe God is calling us to, I'm not. I'm not sure you have someone here. I think you might actually need kind of an external, fresh perspective to come in and do that. And he looked at me and said, well, what if I told you most everyone else said your name? And I think I laughed and said, well, I think they're crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, who are you going to listen to? But I reminded myself of the last time I prematurely shut that door in entering into compassion and thought, okay, I can get over myself again and ask myself if God is calling me into this, even just to allow um, allow myself to submit to the process, uh, then I should consider if this is the path that he would have for me. And then as you can imagine, discerning community, prayer, submission, yeah. Yeah. all of that great stuff. Yeah. It was no longer, uh, maybe you should consider my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that. Though. Yeah. This, this, this time I'll give it a shot. No, the, I, the, the takeaway that I just want to mine out in, in all of that, Alison, because in, in our context, we've just finished uh, another year of Hope Lives. Hmm. Uh, so kind of our annual version of what originally was this affluenza series. And again, Hope Lives is done to help foster this lifestyle. We call it the lifestyle of action as part of this uh, fully devoted life of following Jesus. And, and essentially, Hope Lives is about trying to make all of us into missionaries to a greater degree, no matter where we find ourselves. And what I appreciate in, in your journey and your, your story kind of throughout your experience at Southridge 
and especially in the, the, the journey to becoming president and CEO, is your response to God's call was always active. Your response was always, how do I need to position myself for God to get the best of me to a greater degree? And it wasn't just a passive waiting for some mystical, you know, when is God going to call me? I'm actually going to participate with him in allowing him the space to form that call. And so for those of us across our locations who are listening and feeling like, wow, out of this series, like... I feel called, but I'm not sure to what, and I want to I wanna live into that call to a greater degree. There actually is something active that oh, yeah. you can do to develop your faith, your theology, your heart, your skill set, and even just expose yourself uh, to the needs in our community and, and globally to a greater degree. There are steps that you can take that you actively took, and that uh, I think is, you know, when people wonder what's the difference between the Allison church members and and other church members who don't really kind of experience that same sense of call there is an activation of a of a partnership there that i applaud in you and in you you know it reminds me there is a school of thought out there as it relates to innovation that says dream big test small fail fast or said another way um, like kind of act small learn fast and to me that you know it's not just about innovation and business thinking that is it, in very real ways, the the life of a Christ follower is to allow yourself to dream about what God may be inviting you into in the context of community, of course, and then to take a step, one small faithful step, whether it's learning or listening or praying or um, or acting and serving, and then to, to figure things out as you go. That take a step and learn to me is so critical. And then over time you go, okay, I have moved incrementally closer and closer into realizing the visions and the plans that God has for my life. Yeah, amazing. Um, I'm gonna shift gears now and uh, move from Allison, the Southridge church member. So Tommy's wife, Mike's sister, <laughs> Allison, uh, and now I have a bit of a conversation with the now president and CEO of Compassion Canada. Uh, obviously, we have a special relationship as a, a local church with Compassion. So give us a bit of a sense now that you're in this first chair seat of the future and vision for Compassion. Mm. Where is this thing going now uh, under your era? Yeah. Well, I think often when we enter a new season and we think about the future or what might change, I think is inherent in the question, you know, where are you going? It's always important to articulate what will not change. Right. What um, are the strengths you're trying yeah, to preserve? Yeah. And so compassion has often and rightfully so proudly talked about how we are Christ-centered, we are child-focused, and we are church-based. And we're going to continue to lean into that and never walk away from our core identity and the conviction that we hold around that. And so related to that, when I think about the future, you know, I'm I'm reminded, I just walked through this church building. I haven't been here in a year and a half. And you've got these beautiful global and local displays where you talk about the impact that's been made around the world in the life of kids. And yet how many other kids are still living in poverty? 385 million. Yeah. And that is the reality that I sit in. We currently serve um, over 2 million kids living in poverty. And yet there are still hundreds of millions of kids living and uh, living in that context. And so we are working towards a world where 
every child can live a life free from poverty. What that means for us is being fanatically collaborative, finding other ways to partner with like-minded organizations to keep kids on the agenda and to mobilize churches and individuals who may never partner with Compassion, but who can make an impact on the life of a child. Number two, um, you know, we partner with close to 100,000, you know, Canadian Christians in various capacities. And yet there are so many more Christians across this country. And so we want to see every Christ follower, every Jesus follower, joining God in advancing his mission, not ours, his mission of justice and compassion in their own communities and around the world. So we're really inspired to get in front of them, to find you know where they're at, to um, communicate to them in re- relevant, engaging, exciting ways, to say, join us on this exciting journey of what it means to be a Christ follower as we've experienced here at Southridge. And then here, here's the kicker for me, and we're I get really excited because it has been my story. So every child, every Jesus follower, and then every life changed. That, you know, not just to the degree that compassion, the entity can be used, but that we can see, you know, God use uh, relationships between Christians here and individuals there, between the local body of believers in Canada and the local body of believers around the world to not just exchange resources, but exchange relationships so we can grow in our understanding of God. We can learn from one another and God could use those relationships to radically impact our own perspective and and mindset and um and daily life yeah it's amazing you know we just talked about in our uh hope lives series you know what what the kind of the finish line is and you know around here we say that the finish line is friendship yeah. that friendship makes, makes the, the difference. difference and you know when when we think about it, obviously it plays out a little bit differently globally because of the difference but you know when people ask us why why did you end up partnering with compassion we would say the exact same, essentially three reasons. We've said as a, as a leadership, we care about two things. We care about trying to steward our resources as a church to make the greatest difference we can globally. And as we've kind of studied and understood how this works, um, you know, to have local people in the context of local churches rallying around each other and others. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the most effective, long-term, sustainable, holistic way to make a difference, especially in issues like child poverty. Yeah. And so we're going to partner with that, not just in sponsorship, but in CSPs. We have uh, seven or eight child survival programs that we steward resources towards and feel like bang for buck, this is our best way of making a global difference. The flip side is we don't just want to make a difference globally. We want to, like we've said, turn as many Southridge people into missionaries, whether we ever get on a plane. And so so, uh, so Compassion has been instrumental, not just back in the era of global action plans, but even, you know, since then in resourcing and we do, you know, little small group curriculums and things. And it's just been great, all the different experiences that have been happening. I know we're having this uh, bus tour visit coming up in the fall, which yeah. uh, you'll hear more about that. But again, an exciting way that Compassion is helping support us in equipping our people mm-hmm. because when those two things happen when you're stewarding your resources to make the greatest difference globally and activating your people to become the most missional personally all of a sudden that creates a relationship mm-hmm. where that friendship that tr- that that connectivity that mutuality makes a difference i think about in our own family we're 
right now real time planning our March break trip yeah. uh, where we go and we visit my parents in Mexico every year but we're tacking on this year some days in Guatemala because our sponsored daughter turns 15 oh. and in Latin America when they turn 15 there's a pretty special ceremony called the quinceanera and uh, so we're right now uh, partnering with people in your office to plan Johanna's quinceanera and uh, <sighs> gear up for that before we head to Mexico so awesome. uh, it'll be pretty cool but the the way that that changes them Mm -hmm. and the way that that changes us is at one level kind of the byproduct of us focusing on trying to make the biggest difference and trying to mobilize the most people but it at the same time it's the whole point right so when you're talking about you know focusing on every child and focusing on every christian all of a sudden then the byproduct outcome number three becomes the whole point where every life is changed and that's and I hope if you're listening, gang, that this is what kind of makes us such kindred spirits, not mm-hmm. just Allison and I or our families, but these ministries, you know, even outside of the two of us, when Tim Arnold and yeah. Barry Sloan White were kind of uh, brokering this relationship, uh, that was the collective heart that God was stirring up. So uh, anything that you want to say just about the future of what this partnership can look like from your perspective uh, as members across our location are are getting some time with the president and CEO? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I love that is implicit in what you just said, but um, I reflect on a lot is Southridge has been asking the question in your global mission strategy, how do we have maximum impact and maximum involvement? And as you said, that impact we've since learned, I don't know that the team would have articulated that way at the time. I think maybe the impact we were thinking was like the impact globally as we steward our mission resources and dollars. But now it's that impact very much on the lives here and the involvement piece. Um, What is happening in the quote unquote philanthropic environment um, right now is this desire to go from passive donors to active participants, right? What does it look like to actually engage with all that we are and have in the causes and the relationships uh, that we really care about? And that's something, you know, not just with Southridge, but as I, I look ahead, as I ask, how can we continue to forge deeper, authentic, real-time, intimate relationships, um, largely through things like technology and platforms and, and those types of tools so that we can, you know, forge stronger bridges. As far as the future of our relationship with Southridge, I'm really just excited to be in a season to test and learn with you guys Mm -hmm. and to go, hey, um, what I know about you, Jeff, on a personal level is you're both a big vision guy and an innovative guy who likes to try new things. And I go, what an incredible opportunity in light of my depth of relationship and affinity and affection for this church and the way you guys think and desire to push boundaries and learn um, and grow in a greater degree for us to try new things together. So what it looks like, I don't know yet, but I'm excited to walk with you guys me too and i hope our our members across our locations are catching the spirit of this i mean at one level as a local church we we care about being the best local church that we can be and in partnership with compassion as we dream for the future we're going to try to do those things how, how do we maximize our impact you know, for a greater difference? How do we mobilize more people for a greater difference? And how do we see every life changed as you've Mm -hmm. described it uh, in that process? But then there's this other layer that we've stumbled on in so many other uh, settings. And that is, as we're trying to navigate this as a local church, 
how can we kind of provide a model for other local churches? How can we provide a model for generational transfer? How can we provide a model for becoming missional? How can we provide a model for female empowerment or, you know, so many other things that uh, God has done creatively around here. I mean, this essentially is what the two of us steward now in the next decade or the next era of the lives of our two communities and organizations is not just, you know, how we can help compassion grow and how compassion can help Southridge grow, but how we can actually serve the church in Canada together uh, in the kind of example of what a local church can look like in, in partnership with a ministry like this. So yeah, uh, yeah I'm buckled up yeah. and ready to go. Uh, we're actually going to leave this podcast and start whiteboarding some of <laughs> yeah. that. So uh, we're going to have some fun uh, today. But uh, before we kind of wrap things up, just any final encouragements to our Southridge members when it comes to kind of processing their personal call or even maybe more specifically engaging in a life of action through our partnership with Compassion to a greater degree? Any final encouragements to them? Yeah. Well, I guess I would just want to acknowledge that, you know, in this conversation, as we talked about earlier, you know, my story is one of going you know, from um, a sponsor and taking a step to, you know, now the CEO and leader of the organization, you talked about traveling and, and visiting your sponsor child. And those things can feel kind of lofty and big. And here's what I would want to say. Be faithful with what you have. Take another step forward and trust God to make the impact that he would choose to make with it and to, you know, make of your life and design your life in the way that he has created you to do. Uh, It takes all of us. It takes, you know, the business people and the artists and the communicators and uh, the school teachers and the pastors to bring the best of who we are in the context that we live to be able to make the most significant and meaningful impact that we can. And so um, I want to underscore that and, and know that whatever that small step is for you. Uh, trust God with it. And as it relates to compassion, know that those small steps make a huge difference. Yeah. Be the best version of yourself in Christ. And uh, I agree. Know that those small steps make a huge difference. That's great. Uh, Allison, thanks for being here today. My encouragement to you watching this leadership journey, just like mushroom cloud level explode uh, in the last decade uh, is not only to celebrate the leader that you become. uh, I've had kind of an inside view on that. And, you know, the way that you've uh, developed your own equipping and, you know, from a theological perspective or business perspective and a personal calling perspective, I mean, you have put in the Enneagram three work (laughs) to, to see God bring out his best in you. And in that regard, you are a really a a world-class leader. And Mm -hmm. I have a a high level of respect for you in that regard. What I hope our members have caught today uh, is the privilege that we've had of kind of growing up as people and families. And I, I, I don't say this often, but in your case, it would, it would be true. I, I find you a more impressive Christ follower then you are a kingdom leader hmm. and even more impressive Christ follower than you are a kingdom leader. And I hope that hmm. for those of us who might not have the leadership that Allison Alley has, uh, we can all have the Christ followership that you have. And I appreciate you inspiring us in that way today. So thanks for joining us guys. Uh, we'll see you again next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care.